What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, internet entrepreneur and investor Alexis Ohanian on X, Elon Musk, and the changing tides online. Internet culture is now culture. I really believe platforms can create spaces that are welcoming to people and also still, uh, you know, be weird. And we're getting our squawk shop on in the business of pop-ups. If we wanted to do a squawk pop-up around the country. What are you selling, Andrew, in that squawk (laughs) pop-up? Those stories, but first, one less roadblock for self-driving cars and disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is back in court. I don't think we've ever seen this kind of thing before. It's Friday, August 11th, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Andrew by in three, two, one, Q Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Melissa Lee. Joe and Becky are off today, but Melissa is back for all three. Look at that smile. Couldn't keep me away. Couldn't keep you. We were so happy. <laughs> Meantime, FTF founder Sam Bankman-Fried returning to New York City for a court hearing today that could decide whether he must go to jail while he awaits trial. Prosecutors have asked the judge to revoke Bankman-Fried's bail, claiming he tried to harass a key witness in his fraud case. Bankman-Fried's been under house arrest at his parents' home in Palo Alto, California, since his, since his December extradition from the Bahamas. It's an interesting argument that the prosecutors are making because effectively they are arguing that he leaked information about Caroline mm-hmm. to the New York Times and that that unto itself um, is witness tampering. That is the argument. It's actually a very, very fascinating argument. I would argue as a journalist, Uh not just as a, in my New York Times life, but as a journalist broadly, um, that it's hard hard to see how witness tampering can take place through a sort of third party vehicle, um, given sort of the freedom of speech issues that you'd like to think that even folks who have been charged with have Mm -hmm. around um, and, and by the way, I don't know, I, I don't know whether anyone's ever said that the information was actually, I don't know if anyone's ever confirmed that the information was leaked that's, or not, but the, uh, that's the argument that was put forward. It's, it, but it's a, it's, I don't think we've ever seen this kind of thing before where, where a prosecutor said that, and it's not just, by the way, what they're trying to do is remand him to prison saying that he's tampered with witnesses ahead of a case. Usually that happens in the case of going to someone's home, calling somebody, right. telling them something. But can you can you send messages via, you know, via media, via or the media, which is a very interesting um, argument. I think the point that you made, though, in terms of proving that it was leaked, proving that it was leaked by Sam Bankman-Fried, that seems to be the missing component here. If you don't have hard proof, I don't even think that, that I, I would even I would even argue if it was, it wouldn't matter. Because you would have the arguably, uh, by the way, whether you're in prison or not in prison, mm-hmm. uh, you, there, there, you, have, you still have a freedom of speech um, to say what you want about 
Somebody whomever else. you want, and you should be able to do that. So anyway, it's, it's an interesting yeah, it sort of element of this, this case. Hollywood's going to be watching this today. Uh, after 101 days, that's been this, how long this has all gone on for so far. The Writers Guild and Hollywood's top studios returning to the negotiating table today. The Writers Guild leadership telling its membership yesterday that it expects to hear responses to its proposals from the studio's negotiators. We'll see really how far this goes. There was this sort of mini meeting, if you will, that happened last Friday. That was supposed to be uh, sort of a meeting about having more meetings. Right. Uh, didn't go well. And so here we are. And I think between all the questions we've been having about media companies and whatnot, you know, can these things get back uh, back together? What, what date are we on here? We're on the 11th of August. August yeah. And the, the hope, I think, has always been, but even I, the hope was three months ago, Labor Day. Right. Could you, could you get a deal by Labor Day? I mean, I think even more broadly than just, you know, the media industry um, is the power of labor. We have the U, UAW strike right. going on right now. That date is September 14th when they are, you know, when they can be on strike. Um, we had the UPS uh, union win, effectively, raising UPS drivers' average salary to $170,000 right. a year. So this sort of sticky wage inflation, this is a, an issue for the Fed in some right. respects. Well, that's interesting. I, I, so you see, you piece right. all these things together, yes. and this, oh. this shows the force, the power of the worker Wage right inflation now. is a serious issue, there's yeah. no question. But by the way, it's unclear whether the Fed is the one that's going to be able to tamp down the wage inflation piece of this. Unto itself. I, oh, I agree. I agree. They have very limited power in right. tamping out a lot of aspects of inflation. Right. But the way they can do it is with that big blunt stick. Well, and that big rates. blunt stick makes and it so, harder for them to makes it easier for, for a corporation to say to the employee, we can't do this. Look at what's happening here. We have no we don't have access to capital. I mean, that's the you talk about. Yeah. Who's on or, whose side. Or eventually, you know, they say, OK, unions will give you the raise. But, you know, six months down the line, they reduce the size of their workforce. You know, these things play out here. Meantime, Amazon is cutting some of its private label brands as part of a broader effort to rein in costs. In a statement to CNBC, an executive in charge of the company's store brand said they are looking to eliminate some in-house products that didn't resonate with customers. Amazon has said sales from private label brands represent only 1% of its total retail sales. It did sort of stir up a lot of antitrust Concerns, you know, if yep. it is selling things that its sellers on its platform are also selling, um, if it gave preferential treatment in terms of the advertising for for their private label brands, right. um, and so by getting rid of this, this solves a lot of problems. They're streamlining their products, um, and also they're removing one more sort of argument for antitrust regulators. This is a big win for the autonomous car world in San Francisco. Depends who you think really won here. The California Public Utilities Commission voting yesterday to allow GM's Cruise and Alphabet's Waymo to expand the use of self-driving cars in the city. It's also going to expand their ability to charge for autonomous rides. Residents had expressed some concern, not some, just a lot of concern about their deployment. Uh, and some first responders were complaining that the cars get in their way. After the vote, Waymo said it would begin charging fares for riders-only uh, riders trips uh, in the city in the coming weeks. But the big debate has been, you know, if you have enough of these cars that are sitting and um, they get stuck effectively, mm -hmm. the fire trucks can't get by them. And it's not just when they get stuck. When they get stuck, someone has to a physical human has to come get the car. Right. And so they've had these situations where there are cars that are stuck all over the city. Now, the truth is, in, in human, human being land, 
<laughs> a car there, gets stuck and somebody there, has to physically come and get are, the car. There are cars <laughs> that get stuck too. The question is, are there more cars that get stuck that can't be moved at all? Because they become effectively unmovable without, right. without a human. Whereas usually, most cases, when a car gets stuck, somebody can right. roll it out of the way or do something. I mean, if it's a software issue, then it might be unstuck remotely, which is a... <laughs> that hope, hopefully they'll be able to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Would you take one? Um, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I think I'm, 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 I'm all for science. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, internet entrepreneur and investor Alexis Ohanian. He weighs in on social media, internet culture, and Elon Musk's big plans for X. And the reality is he has brought a shipping cadence. Uh, I wouldn't say it's been a perfectly executed uh, transition, but he's brought a shipping cadence to Twitter or to X uh, that is formidable. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Welcome back to Squawk Box. X Corp, formerly known as Twitter, making a big push to win back advertisers. And we're joined by somebody who knows a thing or two, a little thing or two, actually a lot about it, uh, about managing online communities. 776 founder Alexis Ohanian co-founded uh, Reddit. And it's great to see you, Alexis. We Good haven't seen you in quite in, in a while. And I'm so curious to hear all of your views about uh, what's happening uh, in the X space and advertising and AI and everything else. But let's start with X. I don't know if you saw the interview with Linda Yaccarino yesterday. I'm so curious whether you think this changes the game, whether you think they can attract brand advertisers, whether it's about the UI, and, and just to throw one other piece into it, because you dealt with this at Reddit, whether free mm-hmm. speech is at odds with advertising. <clears throat> well, all right. I was going to say AMA, uh, but you've already begun. Um, Look, I I feel like I can empathize quite a bit having come back to Reddit in 2014 uh, as exec chairman and a big part of that turnaround and a big part of the work uh, that I did with with our amazing sales team and product teams were to basically level up and, and bring into the mainstream Reddit as a platform and as a product and as a home for everyone, including advertisers. And that meant some hard uh, changes, but some important ones. And you know, obviously, a lot of success came from that. Uh, I think Linda is a very, very savvy CEO. Uh, I have to admit, and and you can you had me on talking about this deal like a year yep. ago, and I think I said, "Don't bet against Elon." And and the reality is, he has brought a shipping cadence. Uh, I wouldn't say it's been a perfectly executed uh, transition, but he's brought a shipping cadence to Twitter or to X uh, that is formidable. 
right? It, it is something that great software companies do relentlessly. They continue to improve the product. And even this latest innovation about letting advertisers choose uh, the sort of uh, riskiness of content that they want to be associated with. That's a really clever product solution. I even told the team internally here at 776, this was this is something I kind of wish we had done uh, at Reddit uh, because it's a, it's a way for advertisers to really choose their own adventure in terms of tolerance. And I think what's also important is, is Twitter is realizing, as all these platforms are, that there's uh, there's no guarantees in our constitution for freedom of reach. And those are really the most insidious and, and problematic parts of, you know, bad content right. online. And uh, and they're they're doing what they need to do to to to. What do you make of the idea, though, of the, the freedom of reach issue? And the reason I thought it was so interesting is, um, you know, one of the things that I think that Elon has tried to do is say this is a totally unfettered platform that actually part mm -hmm. of the problem with Twitter prior was actually the freedom of reach issue was was that, yep. yeah, people might be posting, but you're really blacklisted, shadow banned. People didn't know whether people their their tweets were really getting out there or not. And effectively, Linda's saying pretty explicitly, guess what? We're doing that too. She maybe mm -hmm. didn't put it that way, but that sounds like what they're trying to do. I I really I there's a certain amount of this that is is the marketing and the sort of perception of how you know at the end of the day, uh, every platform at any kind of scale has to do some amount of you know speech reduction right we can all agree spam is something that is better off being censored and removed from platforms and you would think something like that would be pretty easy uh, that we could all agree on because no one likes spam uh, but even the definitions of that enter a gray area and that's where that's where all these companies spend 99.9 percent .9 of their time and right. i know i i hear you that it does feel like this is a paradox where you have you know one person saying one thing the other person saying the other how can they possibly coexist uh, but I would, I would, you know, it is, it is a, a bit of a, a red herring. At the end of the day, um, you know, what the vast majority of people want is the ability to go to a platform where they feel like they can be an authentic version of themselves. And then as long as that is within, I think I'd, I'd, I'd argue pretty reasonable guidelines, um, they can continue to do so. And so I think, look, it's a never ending battle and it's probably part of the reason why Elon hired someone like Linda to have to really handle it day to day. Um, because every one of these platforms has to live with these decisions. And, and like I said, the the gray area ends up taking the vast majority of the time. But at the end of the day, you know, these are businesses that want to be approachable and accessible to just about everyone. And and the good news is the vast majority of people who do use the internet are reasonable good people. It's just unfortunately the the extremes tend to be the most polarizing and go the most viral. It does seem, Alexis, like you've had to deal with similar sorts of choices um, at Reddit in terms of content and, and advertisers. I'm wondering if you think even if advertisers are, are able to sort of choose your own adventure in terms of the riskiness of the content they are willing to live next to, is there still, though, that risk that that platform allows people to post risky content and just the association on the platform is enough for advertisers mm -hmm. to still walk away? I, I think 15 years ago, these were the kinds of conversations that we were having at CanLine, uh, trying to reintegrate Reddit with the, the ad world and the business world. Today, I think we're in a very different culture. I mean, to use the grimace shake phenomenon on TikTok, if you had told me 15 years ago that a major, very brand conscious brand like McDonald's <laughs> would want to even lean into a campaign where one of their beloved characters is making a shake that murders people, that's that's the meme. It's a joke. 
uh, on TikTok, I, I would have thought that's that's crazy. Uh, internet culture is now culture. And for for those who are fluent in internet culture, there's a certain amount of absurdity and riskiness and weirdness and whatnot that's baked into it. And uh, and I think we've all, I think as a, as a society come to understand that as a, just a part of being engaged with internet culture. And, and again, there's a, there's a strong line. You, you all know the reason why I resigned from Reddit. Like I, I really believe platforms can create spaces that are welcoming to people and also still, uh, you know, be weird. And, and the problem is you will spend the vast majority of your time actually trying to walk that line. And it's an important right. one. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, if this is where attention is, uh, and it continues to be, I mean, we've, the, you know, our, the relationship and the, the amount that we've seen X now, uh, continue to benefit our portfolio companies. It, it just continues to grow. And so as long as there's attention, uh, it, it's, it's right. going to be relevant for us. So speak to that though, because there's always been, I mean, X or Twitter has, has gotten attention. It's gotten eyeballs for a very long time. The issue I think has been building a mousetrap, if you will, for advertisers mm. that's effective, that, that for, yeah. on an ROI basis, really um, breaks through. And, and that's something that for, for reasons that have been inexplicable to me relative to looking through Instagram or Facebook or Google or what have you, that, that they have struggled and been challenged by. And whether you think that changes under this new regime. And if there's anything you've seen thus far that's changed that actually. The, you know, I've, I've, I've always felt like advertising was the least exciting way to monetize a UGC website. Uh, I do think the recent changes for creators to be able to get paid out and you're seeing people posting the hundreds of dollars, even thousands of dollars uh, that they're making from Twitter now, I think that is going to be a new narrative that we'll see. I think every one of these platforms gets 99% of their value from 1% of the community and they need to be compensated for it. That's the whole, that's the crux of, of so much in the creator economy. And I think if you can start to build more business models that are not reliant on purely here's an ad, will you click on it? And instead, hey, this is a great benefit for our you know, power users. Or when you start aligning uh, the interests of users with the interests of the business, I think really exciting stuff starts to happen. But give me some we, ideas about that, though, Alexis, because obviously shamelessly, you know, the, yeah. the, the um, you know, Twitter blue, I think, mm -hmm. was an interesting idea for reasons, again, I don't know if they're inexplicable or maybe very explainable to you. It didn't seem to, to catch on, I think, the way that Elon had hoped. Maybe you can make it up or, or make a lot more through financial payments or if it turns into a super app. I get that. But in this sort of current iteration, given also Linda's expertise, and she's a genius at it. I mean, selling advertising, mm -hmm. she, she, she did that for, for this company, uh, NBC Universal, for a very long time, uh, remarkably successfully. You know, I assume that that directionally is at least where they're going in the short term, no? Uh, I think in the short term, yes. And the other nice thing is as a private company, they don't have to be as sensitive to the quarterly wins. Um, but, you know, I, shamelessly, I was going to say Reddit Gold, which we launched back in like 2009, uh, a membership program. You know, this this notion, you know, platforms like Discord and Twitch have also similarly done very well. And, and I think I wouldn't count out, oh, gosh, Twitter X, uh, no, X Premium, X Blue. I, that one, it, it's going to take a minute for me to get right. right. Um, I wouldn't count those out. Um, where I would be looking, and, and one of the things we all say in tech pretty often is that Twitter is still a place for business. It's a place for people to actually build their brands and their reputations professionally, not just journalists, but, but folks in tech, folks in business. 
And you start looking at a place like LinkedIn that hasn't really innovated much in product in a very long time. And, and you start to see these rumblings now, right? There's a there's an argument for the the value of Twitter as a business platform, whether it's for recruiting, and now that's a subscription software business, whether that's for uh, you know building deeper relationships with with folks who are you know looking to level up their career. Um, there's a whole other suite of tools because that data, that social graph of followers as well as um, sort of influence is really valuable in business. And and I wouldn't be surprised if they drank a little bit of uh, LinkedIn's milkshake over the coming years. And that's mm. that's a business that can start playing a lot better with brands because in that walled garden of the like, you know, business view of Twitter, um, you have just a very different relationship and uh, it's more signal and less noise. Hey, Alexis, before you go, uh, I said we wanted to talk a little bit about AI. I'm so curious how AI is factoring into your life on a daily basis, either using ChatGPT yourself or your portfolio mm -hmm. companies using it to build apps, coding. Oh, yeah. no. what, what, are you, what are you actually seeing on the ground? We talk we, there's a lot of you chatter about it, but I, I, I think you can probably put it into more practical terms for, for the audience. So I've been doing these weekly updates for my LPs and my founder community around these breakthroughs. There's there's new ones every week, which is exciting. It's a great time to be a builder. We're incorporating this technology into the very operating system, Cerebro, that runs 776. So whether it's helping us draft social media content, uh, whether it's helping us draft intro emails for our founders, right? We're using we're using this technology, and it's it is it is running off of uh, ChatGPT right now, but it's. There's definitely some fool's gold in this space. And so we've been really, really thoughtful about investments we've made. Uh, I've been a long time early investor in narrow AI companies like Cruise and Athelis and Flock Safety over the last decade. Now, you know, this new tech is exciting. It's exhilarating. I think the big winners are still going to be big winners. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually be speaking at the JP Morgan Robinhood uh, Investors Conference a little later this year with someone very important in the AI space. So uh, hopefully we'll see you all there. But it's, it's an exciting time, uh, and it's really the biggest winners right now are the builders. Uh, there are folks posting on Reddit about how everyone in the office thinks they're a superhero because they have these powers of drafting memos 100 times faster thanks to AI. And I think as folks lean into these tools, it's going to help in a big, big Alexis, way. Alexis, one thing, though, I've been getting a bunch of emails recently, and the more... And I read them, and they're so perfectly sort of executed in a certain type of way that yeah. I say to myself, a human didn't write this. Like it doesn't, no, no, th th there's something about the language that makes you think, okay, maybe something's, something's going on here. How do you it, think it, that it, changes it, over time? The way we're solving for that now is we're generating the first sort of 99% of the work with AI and the last 1% is being done by humans. So really the role is more about getting good at, at drafting the prompt. And, and that's a science to itself that's gotten better and better or easier and easier. And then making sure it's got the human touch ultimately before you hit send. The reality is these tools are still pretty uh, janky and they will get much better. And I think ironically, 10 years from now, uh, inserting thoughtful typos <laughs> will actually be the signal of, of humanity in a weird sort of way in terms of the way that we perceive it. Um, but I do advise folks against just going full, uh, full AI. You, you never want to do that. Okay, so uh, because start it does at, seem, I mean, I'm very, it's, I'm great with typos to begin with. So I, I, okay. I'm going to win that game. It's going to be a feature. It's a feature, not a bug, right. Andrew. Alexis, great to see you. Likewise. Thanks. Up next, popping up everywhere, brand pop-ups. 
pop-up podcaster, Susan Sandler, on the money in immersive shopping. I've heard rumors about the Barbie pop-up. Take the rumors about Barbie then. <laughs> Squawk Pod will be right back. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Squawk Pod today with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Melissa Lee. It's a Barbie world and we are just living in it literally. This feels very true these days. Fans of the silver screen sensation can now step into Mattel's Barbie land through immersive pop-up experiences in select cities around the world. Meantime, numerous brands, including Bloomingdale's and Airbnb, are looking to cash in on the Barbie mania, launching their own pink and plastic experiences. The pop-up economy generating up to $80 billion in annual revenue, according to Capital One, and is projected to rake in $95 billion in 2025, nearly half of pop-ups costing less than $5,000 to launch. It may be the next big thing in the experience economy. Let's see about that. Joining us uh, for more, Susan Sandler, pop-up summer founder and president of the Pop-Up Biz podcast host. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, can we talk about pop-ups? I mean, that's why that's why you're here, to talk about pop-ups. I would love to. So. When, when did this phenomenon really begin, do you think? Mm. Has it been around for, I mean, is this a forever thing and now we're just sort of paying attention or is this something else? Really about 20 years ago, yeah. um, I started noticing it first in London when I would go into town and, and look for the best restaurants and people would say, oh, you have to go to the pop-up restaurant. Right. But here's the address and it's a secret location. And then I think slowly brands got the idea. Um, and started popping up in the, the United States. What are, what are the economics of pop-ups? The reason I ask this, I mean, beyond the fact that we're a business program, is I've always been shocked at so a lot of, uh, uh, some of the pop-ups are quite elaborate. And you start to say to yourself, there's a lot of capital costs here to put this together and make this look as, as extraordinary and wonderful as it is. And if this is really not supposed to be a permanent <laughs> fixture, what are these people doing? Right. Well. Pop-ups really are designed for brand awareness, customer engagement, and sales. So if you think about those costs and then you compare it to traditional advertising, it actually works out pretty well. So you know, I, I don't know very few brands that are going into it just to do sales. So should we think of pop-ups, the, the brands that are going, to do, going into the pop-up space, should we think about them more as some of the brands that may be lined up along Madison Avenue, for example? And the reason I say that is there is a number of stores along Madison Avenue that are not intended to be necessarily profit centers so much as marketing vehicles, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, even the folks, I mean, they would hate me for saying this, but, you know, the beautiful new, new Tiffany's that was built uh, on the corner of 5th, uh, of 5th and 59th. I think the sense is hopefully that, that is a, um, a building that will eventually make money, but it is as much about making a profit at that store, I think, as sort of redefining the brand. Yeah, I think that's true. Most brands that I work with, you know, want to cover their expenses at least. Um, And very often it's a pathway to a permanent brick and mortar store or even a pathway to achieving wholesale retail space. 
So I can think of smaller independent right. designers and brands, you know, who do pop-ups, whether they're standalone or they're little right. pop-ups within larger How shops. How much easier has it gotten to do this now? Because the other thing that's happened, as we all know, over the last decade is the brick and mortar store, the retail front, uh, has diminished. And so the value of that in terms of rent has gone, I would assume has gone down or has gone up. I, I thought you were going to say because we see so many vacancies these days, just because of the economy, that landlords are more willing to say, we'll exactly. give you this very short-term we'll, lease so you can open Right, we'll give you this, and we'll give you this amazing space right. for next to nothing. You would think so, but no. not necessarily. Not necessarily, okay. Not necessarily. You know, sometimes that space comes at a premium. Um, so it's a limited edition, special curation, really depends on the location. And we encourage brands at Pop-Up Summer to be really creative about thinking about, you know, where they can pop up. Uh, in our experience, everyone is looking at this and thinking about it. It's harder to think about a brand that isn't either right. activating or planning to do a pop-up. What is the, what's the, I mean, we said $5,000, but that seems too, too low to me. To, to create a true Instagrammable experience, which is, by the way, half of what this seems to be about. What, what is the true cost of these things? Well, in New York City yeah. or Miami Beach, you know, versus smaller markets, it, there's a humongous range. Um, in, in our what's, what's the most anybody's spent with you? I've heard rumors about the Barbie pop-up with me. Yeah. Oh, with me personally? Um, more in the $50,000 range. Okay, I'll take the rumors about Barbie then. $500,000. $500,000. So it's not millions, though. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And I'll tell you why. Because in our experience, the timing should be somewhere between three days and three months. And no longer. You want to be there long enough for people to know you're there, find you, you know, check it out, think about a product, purchase something, but not so long that you've tapped out your resources. You know, you want to get out before it starts to go down. What, what um, metrics do you look at in that pop-up, you know, life that will tell you or tell that retailer, that designer, that whoever, that there is legs to this, that it's time to open up a bricks and mortar? It's a good question, and usually multiple pop-up experiences happen before mm -hmm a brand would go to brick and mortar, but it's a combination of, you know, engagement. So social media engagement, shares, likes, um, posts, sales, you know, feedback. Um, I think that a lot of brands are doing this to test and learn. Mm -hmm. They're testing new markets, new products, new price points. What's the most successful pop-up you've ever seen? Ever seen. Ever seen. Or, or in, in your industry, in your business, what is the, what is the, what is the pop-up that every client walks in and says, I want it to be... unicorn pop-up. I, I need to, I need to have that. It's that. the museum of ice cream, I think. I think that so many people say to me, I want to do a pop-up like the museum of ice cream. But the museum of ice cream, in my mind, is more of um, an experiential activation. Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, they sell some merchandise. You know, that's very different than a, than a brand presenting a full line of, you know... Uh, highly designed and curated merchandise. So, but it, it is a flagship. And then final question, which is because we're looking at, uh, I, I think we're looking at an image of that one right now. Yeah. How much are pop-ups do you think have to be around not just, not just for adults, but have to be about kids? Have to be about family or about something else? <laughs> How many are there? No, I mean, I'm, I'm saying the, the ones that have succeeded at, at this sort of exceptional level. Yeah. yeah. Are they about, uh, how much of they are, are they about strictly adults versus family affair or even focused on children?
Yeah, I think the larger pop-up activations definitely bring in families and kids. Um, Alexa Mead uh, did the Alice in Wonderland pop-up in New York City all summer, which you know offered right. activities and events for kids and adults. If we wanted to do a squawk pop-up around the country, okay. <laughs> What, would what, you, what, what are you selling, Andrew, in that squat <laughs> pop-up? I'm selling what? you. I'm selling you. No, I'm not for sale. We'll sell, what, what do you we'll say? Sell, no, we'll sell Joe seriously. and Becky, and that'll be, you know, the way we'll do it. We'll How will the people experience this? Well, that's what I want. I was, I was, we'll talk, we'll, I will consult with her during the break, and she can help I'm us really design curious. what our go squat pop-up is. Go where your target customer is. You know, make it easy for them to find you. Don't expect them to travel too to, far or too long. Uh, okay. All right. Are you going to sit in that store? Absolutely. All right. I think we should go to uh, to Boca. Yeah, Boca. or the Hamptons. Or the Hamptons, that right about like now. Your your audience. Thank you. Thanks. That does it for the podcast today and for the week. Thank you for tuning in. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. Melissa, thank you for hanging out. Pleasure. Our TV show broadcasts weekday mornings on CNBC starting at 6 Eastern. But if three hours of that broadcast is too much or maybe not enough, follow us here on Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. And please let us know what you think with a rating and a review. Make sure you join us next week. We'll meet you right back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.